Welcome to TV Chinwag, where we take one part cheeky talk, two parts witty banter, and dump in a whole heaping spoonful of snark. It's TV Chinwag. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Jules. Hello everybody, welcome to the 25th episode of TV Chinwag. My name is Ryan, and with me as always is my co-host Jules, who puts the broad in broad shirt. Hey Jules, welcome. And you put the grace in grace point. Oh, thank you. Oh, I think it's more likely I put the king in Viking. I was going to say that, but it didn't really make a lot of sense. It didn't, but when do we ever make much sense, Ryan? This is true. Well, we do. We make sense out of television every week, and 25 episodes we've done of this podcast means we've watched... 25 flippant episodes. We've watched over, over 50 series of television since... When was it? June this year. And are we doing that for ourselves? <laughs> no, we're doing no. this as a public service because we don't want you to watch shit. There's a lot of great TV out there and we want to bring you the good stuff, particularly the stuff that people aren't talking about enough. So we dedicate yes. our lives um, to trying to watch as much television as is inhumanly possible, um, which is no chore, really. No, except well, when, except when you spend like your week. you spend your time watching show reality shows about beardy men in the Arctic when you're meant to be watching quality dramas, but um, that's just my. There's a lot of shows with the word Yukon in them that I have to watch. <laughs> isn't that a, isn't that a type of potato as well? Uh, yeah, Yukon uh, russet potato. Uh, Yukon potato, sure. Yes. Um, Delicious. Is there, a, is there a series about beardy men growing potatoes in the Yukon? Uh, don't, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> that would be boring to watch. There's only ones about guys driving trucks and flying planes and mining for gold. <laughs> and fishing for grass. <laughs> oh, God, I love the crap shows. Um, Deadliest Catch, I miss you. I think they should do more. I mean, I've always said they should do more like crossover reality shows. So you have like Project Runway in the Yukon or, um, you know, X Factor with Mountain Men on it or something. Right. Um, That could be exciting. You might have death. (laughs) Well, you know, this is where I think we need to go. Something to be said for all those shows, like you know, all those about the film crews. You know, like those guys are are really putting their lives, guys and girls, putting their lives on the line, going out there to capture this kind of footage. You know, like especially on something like uh, Mountain Man or Yukon Man or whatever. Or when, Deadliest Catch. You know, or Deadliest Catch, where they're you know fifty miles away from the nearest anything, and a snowmobile runs out of gas, and they have to try and get their way back. Well, the mountain men that are from those situations, you know, they're built to deal with it. The camera guys are just camera guys. Yeah. Well, they're not just camera guys. They're no, very but they're, they're, fact, they're, they're a, latte sippers from Vancouver usually, aren't they? And uh, you know, uh, well, <laughs> I don't think they're they're the ones looking after those jobs. Um, actually, in one of <laughs> the micro recent brew Yukon drinkers, men, right? In one of the recent Yukon men, um, one of the people that they follow, his wife had a major like stroke. And uh, the camera crew actually had to evacuate her and, and perform CPR and, and medical while they waited for the air ambulance and stuff. Wow. It's, yeah, that was... Uh, that never happens on Project Runway. N- never, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> no, I think we need gross we, <laughs> voyeurs. <laughs> well, you know, there has to be real, you know, high stakes in these things, not just That's right. how many, how much, you know, money are you going to win? I want there needs to be, you know, something at stake, like your life or a limb or right. something. Yeah, at least or public humiliation. Oh, God, that's the worst. That's the worst <laughs> injury you can sustain. Exactly. I don't really know if I want to watch that. I do get <clears throat> secondhand embarrassment when people get embarrassed. I do, embarrassed. too. I can never watch those. Do you get that? I can never watch those, like, pranking shows, you know, no, like me punked neither. or me neither. candid camera because yeah. Yeah. I just, to me, that's... Get up and look away and... Yeah, because it's, it's also, like, yeah. the hum- I don't get the humour in it because someone's been deceived and they've reacted as you should in that situation and then people laugh at it and it's like well it could be you i want to laugh at people because they're stupid not not because they've been deceived and that's why (laughs) at least once a week i sit down and watch two to three hours of news bloopers (laughs) (laughs) now that's good humor they're always good value in fact actually just watching the news is um you don't even need to wait for the bloopers really um, but I can't stand watching yeah. television news these days. No, but Australia is a bit like Canada. We have we have quite decent news casting. It's not as salacious as it appears to be in the states. Mm, I think yours nationals. might be a tad better than ours. Ours isn't as bad as the US, but it's paper thin in terms of uh, content these days. Is uh, it? Yes, I like to think ours maybe isn't paper thin, but it probably is. Yeah, it no, it's uh, it's got very little relationship to anything of um, social or political value. So, do you ever watch? Well, here we are in the middle of a podcast. But do you ever watch Vice? <laughs> Sorry. You ever watch Vice? No. A show called Vice. It's a it's a news format, an independent news no, show. No, haven't seen that. Oh, it's on HBO. It's really fantastic. We should probably do a review on it. Okay. Well, maybe we could um, do a review of um, yeah. news type shows because I mean I do watch um, you know The Daily Show. I'm now watching John Oliver. Never really warmed yeah, to yeah. Colbert, but. Um, uh, did you see his salute to Canada the other I day? I did see his salute to Canada, and that was, <laughs> was uh, well-deserved and excellent. I mean, I think Colbert yeah. is, is is excellent in what he does. I just find him yes. a bit shouty. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit yeah. shouty. Um, yeah. But I, I think he, he and, uh, you know, John Stewart, uh, we've, we've got a show similar here on um, Australian TV called uh, by a local comedian called Sean McAuliffe, but it's um it's only quite recent and it certainly doesn't hold the weight or the place uh, that uh, that those shows do. Um, and believe you me, our politics are worth uh, satirising and dissecting as much as the US's. So yeah, maybe we should do a um, sort of a news news shows we like and uh, related oh, cool. uh, yeah. um, things. Let's put that on the list. Uh, okay. Speaking of news. Speaking of news, what's happening <laughs> in the world of television? I've got a few stories that uh, came across my way. Um, everyone on Game of Thrones, I think, is getting a pay rise. I thought everyone would be fascinated to know that. And they've signed various people up to season seven. Oh. Um, which I think might take them near to where the books currently are. Um so, yes, in, interesting. The new cast deals, yes, include an option for up to season seven. Uh, and uh, the next book in the series is meant to be out 
next year, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Um, poor George. Yeah, poor yeah. George Martin. No pressure, pressure, George. <laughs> no kidding. So I wonder how much the show has influenced his writing. I think I'm that, sure he'll say it doesn't, but it must at some point, right? I do remember he said, and I can't remember which character it was, but I remember him saying it was one of the minor characters, so. But I remember him saying the way it was played on the show had influenced him writing it going forward. Um, hmm. And and I'm sure. I mean, you know, given he's written for the show, he's obviously watching it. Um, yeah. You, you you couldn't you couldn't stop yourself, you know. Now um, and how much it influences the writing, you know, I don't know. But you know you couldn't stop yourself seeing Peter Dinklage as Tyrion and you know the some of the you know characters who've become so iconic. So um, maybe he's sitting around reflecting on that. He just needs to write more. Possibly need to get edited more, but that's uh, another. Uh, another point, I do believe. Yeah, maybe I would just maybe suggest that you shouldn't be giving suggestions to George R. R. Martin. <laughs> he seems to be doing pretty well here. To be straight with it, Jill. Really? <laughs> yeah, oh. I'm not sure he's needing that advice. God, oh my! I won't send that that uh, 400 page letter I've got with suggested editors edits for the existing book set. Yeah, I could suggest some edits to that letter. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do know, though, he has had many conversations with David Benioff and, and D.B. Weiss, who, who make the show, um, and, and we have been assured that if, you know, George Martin got run over by a bus tomorrow, they know the general direction of where he's planning to take the story and the end of it. So, um, with or without George, I know that's rather macabre to think about, um, but it's a question that has to be asked. He's not a young man. Uh, he's not <laughs> he in writes, great health. And he writes very slowly. Um Anyway, uh, Game of Thrones won't be back till next year, and uh, but it uh, obviously has a long future in front of it. A uh, cool. couple of other things. Stars, our favourite TV station, uh, is looking at an online-only streaming service and particularly at launching it in uh, country, other countries, places around the world. Uh, they didn't mention Australia, sadly, although maybe we get bundled in with Asia when they're talking about it. But, mm. again, another uh, stage, a broadcaster that's looking at different ways of uh, delivering its material uh, and, and unhooking itself from the sort of package of, you know, pay TV subscriptions uh, so that, you know, you might just be able to buy stars, um, which I would certainly do. I don't even, yeah, I don't even yeah, know what's yeah. on Stars day to day, but I know they make a lot of series I like watching. Um, there was an announcement this week that Bell, who's one of the major conglomerates in Canada for communications, television, entertainment, phones, they are partnering with HBO to offer HBO content online. Wow. Um, it was called Operation uh, Cafe Latte, I think, is what they <laughs> You're joking. The name was. Oh, my no, God. No, that's their, their like code name for the project, <laughs> um, which they'll essentially be able to offer all that a la carte stuff um, on demand on the internet. Well, so I just... that will be interesting to see how that pans out. It's certainly the... Th but, it, you know, for stars, it's a ballsy move because... They're a very young network, yeah. and you know, for them to to go out on this limb, it really puts them at risk for being chopped from the Time Warners and the other thing that people don't like this move. So, 
it is pretty ballsy, I think, for them to do that. Well, they're obviously weighing up because they talked about doing it places other than the US. So I suspect they're looking at things like, you know, the the Asian market particularly and European markets as somewhere they could do that and um, uh, a place where they're, you know, and look, Australia would be the perfect place because I know I've said before, we've, we have relatively very low penetration of cable in Australia because it's been quite expensive and, um, you know, really, you know, the, the adage usually is unless you're into sports, it's, it's you know, really not worth it these days, um, except for the fact that Australia is cut off from, you know, because we don't have Netflix here, we don't have Hulu, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, if someone like Stars launched and, you know, um, you know, you could get that for for a dollar a week or whatever. Um, right. It, it 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 would do some good. People will prefer to pick and choose rather than buying a package. And even our main cable provider here, Foxtel, you know, has started a a streaming cut down service, similar to you know HBO's been talking about. So, um, you know, I think people are starting to realise. They need to offer a variety of products, you know. Uh, some people would probably pay just to watch. I know a number of people here have said, you know, I want to watch Game of Thrones, <clears throat> but I don't, it's only on cable here. I don't want to pay all that money just to watch one show. I would happily pay, you know, a very, you know, a certain amount just to watch you know, Game of Thrones. So I think like a pay-per-view yeah. pay model, which, of course, you can get with a number of things through iTunes. Again, in yeah. Australia, that doesn't they're not always on iTunes um, so I think those sort of things there is a market through um, through the rest of the world outside the US and I think some some companies are um, uh, picking up on that I mean not that it's it, important uh, that they do but otherwise people just get used to taking other methods well yeah I mean it's it's uh, you know reported again and again Australia is the center of pirating TV content in the world. We are the highest rate of pirating for Game of Thrones anywhere in the world. There's not many of us. So, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and that's driven by the fact that there aren't legal alternatives and people keep saying, you let us buy it, we will buy it. But if we can't buy it, we will take it for free where we can find it. So it's... Uh, right. um, and it's hard because we are, you know, certainly Australia and I'm sure Canada is similar. As, you know, we're small markets. You know, we don't ca yeah. we don't carry a lot of weight. But, uh, you know, if you start looking at it as, as part of the Asian market, suddenly you're talking hundreds of millions of people and not 20 million people. And it starts yeah. to make uh, a whole different uh, economic sense there. So, um uh, we will see. Uh, so that uh, series we're going to write uh, for stars could have global impact, Ryan. Oh, my goodness. Is it going to be about the um, licensing economics of <laughs> smaller-sized countries? Because that sounds super fascinating. Look, I'm a nerd. I can be as boring as fuck as I want on any topic. I can suck the interest out of even talking about television because <laughs> that's the definition of a nerd isn't it i am talking to myself basically at this point okay no i always <laughs> no everything you say i find fascinating i just wonder if we just bore the shit out of all of our listeners no they don't otherwise they, they wouldn't keep listening right jules it's yes. your charming personality that keeps them coming back those, those three people out there who are listening thank you and i'm sure someone's you know quoting me on their um 
uh, the college essay at the moment on oh, the economics well, of broadcasters in Southeast That's Asia, right. <laughs> <laughs> as heard on TV Chinwag. Right. Um, the other thing was there was a really interesting article in uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, this week. Um, which started up uh, with a good uh, with a good lead that was sci-fi knows they messed up now they have a plan to win you back so it was basically mm. looking at the change we've seen in the sci-fi network since it changed its name i don't know what was it about 5 years ago from yeah. sci-fi with an ii to sci-fi which was um, all all sexy spelt and as no one actually understood why they were rebranding like that because sci-fi it still said sci-fi they weren't like pretending they were doing something else and it was basically saying that um that you know they're looking at trying to go back to the sort of uh shows like battlestar galactica that had critical acclaim now they've of course had um you know they've had a number of shows that have gone on and have, have done quite quite well in terms of sci-fi warehouse 13 sanctuary haven eureka all sort of light uh entertainment shows but um we talked last week about defiance which was a move mm-hmm. sort of back into really uh, you know uh I say heavier drama but you know a more serious uh drama and that they've said that uh, now they've got a new um programming chief and you know they want to look at moving back into the sort of things that are going to get broader notice uh they mentioned in the article that uh they the writer thought that helix uh the Javier Grillo, Mark Suarez show from last year was part of this. Uh, neither of us are a huge fan of Helix. It was it was a good enough show, but I don't think it was mm-hmm. um, certainly wasn't earth shattering. But they've got um, a couple of new series coming up. There's one called Ascension, uh, starring Trisha Helfer, who of course was in a Battlestar, and uh, this is about a if you like a space arc that was. Uh, supposedly launched in the 1960s when everyone thought that uh, we were going to destroy ourselves on Earth and uh, it follows what's been happening on this uh, intergalactic survivors of humanity, uh, which is sort of somehow stuck in the 60s, uh, which I think is an excuse for it to look like Mad Men in space, which not complaining because good fashion for most of us. Right. Um, there's one. There's another series called Expanse, uh, which s- haven't heard much about it. People are comparing it to. It's a space drama, anyway, uh, based on a novel called Leviathan Wakes. And the one that looks really interesting is called Twelve Monkeys, which is not. People might remember the Terry Gilliam film Twelve Monkeys. Now the 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 show isn't based on the film, other than it's based on the concept of someone going back in time trying to uh, or forward in time trying to change things. Uh, I'm a huge sucker for time travel shows. It sounds in a little way, um, and only very small, um, Continuum, which we probably should review at some point because it's a Canadian series that's done fantastic Mm. uh, time travel, uh, people from the future coming back to the present and trying to affect um, how, how... the world develops. Um, so anyway, sci-fi's got some big things on the books, uh, which is good. I, I, we were bemoaning last week the lack of um, shows set in space. 
um, and real sci-fi shows, so you know that are separate from the sort of horror and, and fantasy that we're seeing a lot of. I must mention, I did leave out last week when we were trying to think of other um, spacey sci-fi shows, and we 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 came up with Defiance and Falling Skies. And I did leave out, and I know you weren't a fan of it, but I did leave out the One Hundred, which has just returned uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, Right, I did think of that, yeah. Um, but the 100, and I have to say, it's come back, it's come back stronger than ever, um, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. It continues to be a show that the plot moves along at a ratcheting pace, and uh, the character development's got uh, really good this season. So, uh, I heard Ty Olson is on this season. Unrecognisably so, yes. He's one of the so-called yeah. grounders who've been in uh, living on this uh radiation-affected Earth for the last 100 years, and I would not have known it was Ty Olsen if you didn't tell me because oh. he's all bearded and dressed in rags with tattoos all over him, and I'm absolutely unrecognisable. Um, but uh, I'm really enjoying The 100. I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good show. It does some good world-building. And interestingly, they've actually given it opening credits this season, which they didn't have last season. They just had a title card. And now there's this whole um, – you should watch it if you get a chance – opening uh, credit sequence that's like the um, visuals from a video game. Really well done oh. um, and oh, cool. very cool. Um, that was my week in television news. That's well, it's a busy week, Jules. It, oh, <laughs> I should say, this is what I do when I'm meant to be at work in my job, is uh, is uh, reading articles about television. <laughs> yep, that's why you're the best co-host in the business. <laughs> oh, there's so much of it. Um, <laughs> and if people, th- there are some good, uh, Vulture particularly, uh, Vulture.com, does a good, good, good business of wrapping up TV news in a... Um, in a way that's not just uh, uh, a headline and a paragraph. Um, oh, the other one I should mention is there has been more mention of who's getting cast on True Detectives. We might do a wrap-up of that next week because uh, there's been lots of names mentioned and a lot of interest. Uh, it seems to have taken a very long time to cast. I don't know when it's going to start shooting, but um won't go into that now. I'll save that for next week. Okay, sounds good. Let's move on, shall we? What, what shows? What show do you want to start with today, Jules? Um, why don't we start with uh, well, another a show that there was actually another article about. It's amazing I get any work done, isn't it? Um, there, mm-hmm. there was a show, uh, an article on HitFix this week on remakes, um, uh, and this was actually talking about remaking older series. So there's been talk of making remaking uh, Greatest American Hero. Um, mm-hmm. and also making some movies into TV shows, including Marley and Me, which I don't know how you make that into a TV show because the dog died. And um, Spoiler. Oh, spoiler. Everyone's watched it, usually on a plane. Um, I haven't watched it. Oh, don't. It, I don't want to. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I only watched it because I was on a plane, and um, I watched it without the sound on, um, and I still got teary because the dog dies. Anyway, we think we should talk first about Grace Point, a.k.a. Broadchurch. We're in the early moments of a complex homicide investigation. Danny's life touched many people. We've been looking at all those connections. When people run cycles, it's a very, very mad. There will be no hiding place for Danny's killer. 
So a little bit of background here. Um, Broadchurch was a, is a British uh, drama uh, with, what was it, 10, um, let me see how many episodes it was. It was uh, eight episodes uh, that broadcast in uh, 2012, starring David Tennant, um, known to many as the 10th Doctor, but, um, you know, been on a million um uh, both stage and uh, screen in the UK. And Broadchurch was um, set in a small uh, seaside town and there's a murder. I'll leave it there for the moment. After it finished, there was for some... And it did huge ratings in the, in the UK, really, really big. Um, Fox picked it up and said, well... Couldn't uh, did get broadcast on BBC America where four people watched it, and um, then yeah. Fox said, "Let's remake it because you know local folk won't be able to understand uh, obviously <laughs> all those English accents, and let's remake." Yeah, especially if they're from London <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, let's remake it. We'll call it Grace Point. They actually filmed it on Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and weirdest thing of all, they cast David Tennant in it. So playing the same role he played on Broadchurch as the uh, lead, as one of the cops investigating it. Um, it had the same director and uh, obvi- other than David Tennant, different cast. Now it's done not good business, uh, not good ratings uh, in the US. Uh, it's own, I think it's the US version's 10 or 11 episodes, so it's longer than the uh, original. And uh, while the original in the UK has been renewed for another season, um, I think it's pretty obvious at the moment that uh, Grace Point will not be. Uh, have you watched any of Grace Point? So I sat, I hadn't seen Broad Church, but I heard good things about it. Um, so I was really looking forward to Grace Point, especially being filmed in, in Victoria around uh, Vancouver Island. Uh, which is beautiful and and not really seen in film too much, so uh, that was exciting. Uh, I knew a few people that worked on the show. Sat down to watch it, and I, I don't, I, I'm not interested. It, it it's uh, I saw an episode and a half, and it's just not got anything that's grabbing me. The first shot was a pretty cool tracking shot of a guy walking through the small town square talking with people on his way and stuff which is a cool shot um and i thought oh this looks like it could be good and it just never really got there it's beautiful the scenery looks great um but it's just missing uh, it's missing something and i I couldn't put my finger on it david tennant comes in uh, halfway through the first episode he's terrible like he's really terrible he's weird and not in a good way and and boring and very monotone and not interesting yet still plays like kind of kind of a stereotypical um genius who doesn't fit in with people um a bit of a trope uh and a gun whom to be fair i i haven't really enjoyed in many other things i think is great here so she I, she I mean, plays like Ali Miller, here. who's the other detective, who's a local, and uh, David Tennant's local detective character yeah. is someone who's been brought in from outside. Can we talk for a moment about David Tennant's accent? Because I know we've mentioned this before, and, and obviously not being a um, USian, I often don't notice when um, 
people from outside the US are playing American characters and don't mm-hmm. get the accent mm-hmm. right. But the, the one I always quote is Charlie Hunnaman uh, in Sons of Anarchy, who I see, hear nothing wrong in his accent and other people tell me it's atrocious. Uh, David Tennant mm-hmm. here is like... It's appalling. Like he's not only I, it's not I only his accent, but he's it. mangling his like he seems to be. Yeah. Uh, it's a mix between the accent and how he's swallowing his words or something. Like it, it's a really weird performance, and and I have yeah. to say. So I came from watching Broadchurch, love Broadchurch. It was the sort of series I went out and pimped to everyone I know. Um, his performance and that was fantastic. The role of um, the local detective Ellie Miller was played by an English actor called, uh, obviously English actor called Olivia Coleman, who was brilliant and loved it, loved everything about it. Um, so it's very difficult though for me to judge Grace Point because uh, certainly the first episode is almost exactly, it was done by the same director and it's shot for shot of Broadchurch. Now, I don't know why right. you would do that given, unless you, th- I suppose you think your work is perfect. Right, uh, yeah, exactly. But, so I started watching this and the thing is, why am I going to watch this? I believe that at episode seven it deviates from the UK plot, but why am I going to watch even seven episodes of the same show? Uh, so it's very difficult for me to judge whether this is sort of better or worse because I've already got the original in my head so i can't sure but but we've come across that before i mean the killing for instance or um that's true uh, the office even and it can be done right well that's the thing i'm, I'm not someone to it has to be it has to be good to begin with or or at least it, it, the the recreation has to be of a decent blood and i, I just don't get that with mm, it. i mean that's what's interesting to me that you know because i can't judge it's hard for me to judge whether there's something has failed in this remake. And look, I'm not someone to dismiss a remake just because it's a remake. And I think, you know, certainly, as you said, with certainly the first season of The Killing and, and um, you know, The Office proved that there can be a point to doing a remake. I think there's often not a point. I think if you're going to do a remake, you have to be capturing something that's not in the original. Otherwise, otherwise what's the point? Um, yeah. And, and, you know, if that's setting it, you know, in a different local culture, um, you know, obviously economically sometimes it's just to put in, you know, an American name that would attract viewers. So that's one reason I was bemused that they'd kept David Tennant in the lead role because he's unknown in the US. Um, you know, he's a huge in the UK, but people aren't going to tune in in the US to watch a show because David Tennant's in it. And as you no. said, even the... Well, Whovians will. But. Yeah, but that's that's a minuscule part. You know, the people who know Tennant from Who will have watched Broadchurch and will yeah. and will be snobbly dismissive of an American remake. Um, yes. And again, of course, really well known from her role in Breaking Bad, but not necessarily hugely liked because of the character she played in Breaking Bad. So, you know, I don't think um, she on her own was going to attract viewership. It's got some great supporting cast. Uh, It's got Nick Nolte particularly who plays sort of the old salt by the sea. Um, (laughs) But his accent is ridiculous. Well, again... He's literally doing a pirate accent. When you come down here, you'll see that they had a (laughs) Really? Really? See, this is where it's it, it, having. It's hard for me not to judge against the original, where the character he plays 
in the original and and just to set it up for people so there's a, a young boy is found dead in this small seaside village and basically it's the investigation of his murder and each episode a different character comes to light who seems like a likely suspect and usually in an episode or two gets dismissed as a suspect and someone else uh, um it, it arises as a, another suspect and and basically it's because all the you know everyone has secrets um they just happen not to be the secrets about killing young boys um and in the original these sort of uh, the characters are they're all creepy in some way they're the sort of person that you can think oh that reminds me of you know that weird guy who you know used to push his shopping cart bus by bus stop mm-hmm. or something the characterization in the american series seems a lot broader as you said like with nick nolte being a pirate (laughs) and so they seem cartoonishly villainous they seem more like obviously being set up to be a villain when they're you know they're not going to be um Mm. and and so you lose some of that tension that i think the original had where you're just entering this village getting to know the characters getting to know you know it's a small town and everyone's lives interact in various ways and as i said a lot of people have have various secrets that they don't want revealed which have nothing to do with with the crime and um and that's that's the hook of it if you like because you as the viewer you you're you're trying to guess who who did it and and what guess ahead to what the relationships between various people are and it's um it's one of those great shows when you're watching week to week with people is to go sort of like oh my god do you think it's going to be blah blah and um finding out you're wrong or maybe you're a bit right um so i don't know if that's one of the reasons it's not working in the um in the american version there's something about the way it's drawn that's too broad and maybe that's broad church, ha <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe that's something that's been lost in translation. Um, maybe the form of the original needed to be tweaked somehow differently for an American style of storytelling. And I don't know what that is. It's not just about subtlety or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It's some difference in how stories get played out in different cultures. And, I, you know, I'm sure people have written theses about it, but something needed to be tweaked more that didn't get tweaked. Um, right. And for us, you know, as I said, I think it comes back for a start. Why have Dave, Why not just have David Tennant being English? Like, there are actually yeah. people in the US who come from other countries. <laughs> yeah. And they can be police officers. And they can be police officers. Um and yes, I do find his his performance here strange because he was wonderful in the original. Maybe, and I think Anna Gunn's good here, but I do think his um, chemistry with Olivia Coleman and her um, her portrayal as Ali Miller, the the detective he works alongside, mm-hmm. somehow put his character more in context. So he here he stands out as being weird and twitchy. Uh, Mm. more than he did in uh, although he is a he's someone again with secrets and there's a reason he's you know sort of suffering from post traumatic stress and he was involved in a case um in his recent past that went sideways and sort of has really knocked his career on its ass and knocked him emotionally um now that may come out as we go on and I haven't again having only watched the first two episodes 
maybe that writes itself and, and once you go on with it. But as I said, it's it's sort of hard for me to commit to watching more of something when I already know what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, personally, I won't keep watching. I'm, I'm finished. I couldn't even get through the second episode. Right. So. That just goes to show. It's just too weird and, and not good. I would suggest if somebody likes this premise, you don't know, watch um, The Killing. Yep. Or if you want a seaside kind of town, watch Haven. Or watch the original Broadchurch. Um, right. I would I would say um, yes. Give give that a go, and at least you won't have to put up with the weird voice David Tennant is doing because yeah, he's a good exactly. he's he's a very good actor and I and you know um, Olivia Coleman is also um, fantastic. If you're a Whovian, you'll also be interested that Arthur Darvel uh, appears as a priest in it. Um, I must mention in the um, in the in Grace Point, the weird lady who lives in a van on the beach is played by Jackie Weaver, who's an Australian actor uh, who mm. who gained. Uh, American notice through her role in a film uh, called uh, Australian film called Animal Kingdom and went on to star or co-star in Silver Linings Playbook. Um, so she's been getting quite a bit of American work, which is amazing because she's like nearly sixty. Uh, she's been in the Australian industry for a trillion years, um, and it's really nice to see her getting international recognition at this point in her career. Um, cool. Give one of them a go. Give the other a go. Let us know. I'd be really interested for people to, to tweet us um, how they're finding Grace Point Broadchurch, whether you've watched one or the other. Um, what do you think went wrong with, with Grace Point? Because obviously it hasn't captured audiences. And as I said, it was a, um, a ratings powerhouse in the in the UK. So something's gone wrong. Um, and I don't think it's just that it's... You know, it's not a story that U.S. audiences would like because, as you say, you know, there are plenty of other – well, not plenty of other, but there are other similar sort of tales um, around that have done very well. So um, – and we all love a murder mystery. Well, some of it, yes. some of us do. And, and this is, you know, like the killing in a way is about the mystery uh, and about communities dealing with grief and that more than it is about, you know, seeing horrific – you know, bizarre serial killing or something like that. So it is very much on right. the the character-driven and human scale of it at the same time of having this almost noirish sort of plot where the, the layers keep getting peeled back and you find out more about this community. So um, something f for broadcasters to think about when they want to remake something uh, for the US market. The other thing that... Mm -hmm. um, just to throw in one of my little hobby horses, you know, I think it shortchanges US audiences in that they so rarely get to see um, shows from other countries. Now, living in Canada and Australia, as you and I do, we've been exposed most of our lives to shows from not only our home country, but from the, you know, UK and, and, and America as well, um, mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not sure in Canada, but certainly here we even get um, you know, European shows. Um, and, and I think you lose out on something there. You don't get to see, you know, how other people live and <laughs> what other societies oh, are like. Absolutely. And, and, yeah, and it, yeah. it uh, you know, in some ways assumes that, uh, you know, the thing about, oh, you know, um, people won't understand the accent. You know, like no one in America has an accent, she said with air quotes, mm -hmm. or that... Um, the, mm -hmm. um, 
I had an argument on Twitter with someone saying, oh, but people won't get the cultural references. Well, you can watch shows set in space or, as we're about to talk about, the Middle Ages Vikings and you soon work out what the cultural references are. So I, I think it's strange and I do think it, it does shortchange um, audiences from getting to see something. And, and you know, Broadchurch was you know, an excellent series and it's a pity Fox didn't just pick it up and um, give it some good publicity and um, blast that out on its network rather than remaking something that hasn't worked. But maybe this will learn them. Yeah, maybe it will. Let's move on and talk about Vikings. Yes! To the longboats! (laughs) (laughs) I will not risk my ships on such a deluded fantasy. This was the most exciting voyage of our lives. I have dreamed of it. In the name of God, who are you? I have something that will change everything. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about Vikings, Ryan. Vikings is a... Uh, a show on the History Channel. It's actually a Canadian-made show um, by a company named Take Five. They've made things such as... Um, do you remember a show a while ago called uh, Camelot? Yes. Yeah, they did that. Um, the they did the Tudors. which show... They did... Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I enjoyed the Tudors. Which we, we liked, yeah. Yeah, we both liked that. Um, and uh, they've done a whole bunch of these sorts of shows... This one is about Vikings, and it takes place back in the oh, middle evil times. Was it 1300s, or did they even put a, a date on yes, it? Yes, 1780, 17, uh, sorry, 763 AD. Oh, wow. Okay, so a long time ago. A long time ago. Um, yeah, and it is about, in it we follow a, a single Viking guy named... Um, um, Ragnar Lothbrok. Ragnar Ragnar Lothbrok. Yes. Yeah, and uh, in <laughs> you got to yell it. You've got to sort of growl it. Ragnar. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Ragnar. Ragnar. Lothbrok. There's a little growling in this. Right, we follow um, Ragnar, and he's a he's a small town farmer kind of guy. Hot he farmer. Gets some ambitions. Hot farmer. Yeah, yeah he's a farmer, <laughs> and he uh, gets ambitions to. He's curious about the world, and he starts moving around and moving up, and uh, eventually he becomes a, a leader of the community. Uh, it's filmed mostly in Scandinavia, I believe. And Ireland. And Ireland. Yes. Interesting. Um, it's it's beautiful. Oh. I mean, it's it's just an absolutely beautiful show. Um, st- the, stunning. Um, the, the, sorry, what was that? Stunning. Stunningly beautiful. Um, a lot of it is visual effects. I was looking at some of the breakdowns. So, you know, when they're in the longboats and they're row- rowing through the fjords yep. um, in, I guess, what was then, what, Scandinavia. Yes. Um, you know, they they added the mountains and made the fjords look uh, amazing. But just really, really well done. It's got an interesting plot as you sort of follow along. It takes a few episodes to sort of get into it. Um, I know by the fourth episode, I was kind of getting a little bit bored, but after the fourth episode, it really picked up, and I ended up getting through uh, the first uh, the first uh, season of it, um, and really quite enjoyed it. 
it stars a guy named Travis uh, Fremel. Is that how you say his name? Fimmel? Fimmel, uh, whom people are going to know from the Warcraft movie that's coming out in 2016. And guess what? Uh, I believe he's in that. He's yeah. Australian. Is he really? And he started life as a Kelvin Klein model. Mm. He is kind of a magnificent <laughs> bastard, isn't he? He is, with incredible hair. He has these really, like, a mohawk with these complicated braids at the back. Um, yeah. And, uh, yes, he's a, he's a fine, fine-looking... Um, fine-looking specimen of a man. And, yes, he's one of those, you know, he was spotted working out in the gym by a talent scout and was plucked from obscurity to become a uh, become a model. Uh, he's a great actor. He emotes very well. Yeah. He's got a really interesting personality, his character. Um, as you get later into the episode, they sort of leave their small community and start mixing um, with other communities. And he's got a real cocky attitude that comes through there that you, you don't see earlier. So that adds this whole another dimension to his character of being a real cocky prick. Um, some A lot of beardy men, as you would call them. <laughs> a lot of big, huge guys with long, interesting braided beards. Um, I love looking at these little towns and yep. the way they live and their houses. Yeah, and the set deck and everything. It, is... it feels like you're there, doesn't it? Yep. Oh, it does. It's. Um, I was. I was thinking while watching it. I mean, there's a, a parallel. I think I have to getting into these sort of series as there is to sort of fantasy. So it compares in a way to uh, Game of Thrones because you're taken into this. Um, you know, make believe. Not. It's not make believe. <laughs> it's vaguely historically based world, but it's so foreign to our own. You know. Uh, it, it's yeah, Scandinavia in seventeen seven. Sorry, I keep wanting to say seventeen seven ninety three. Uh, obviously, a very different um, um, culture, and I love the way you get to see bits of it. Uh, it, it just sort of unfolds, and, and talking about getting cultural references, you know, you get that as you get to to live with these people, and the fact that he starts off as this sort of. Yeah, he's a bit of a nobody, you know. He's he's obviously a good warrior, and and the story is that every summer they get sent off by the local lord to to go raiding, um, and he's the one who keeps going. Why do we always go? You know, we're always going east and raiding the Russians. And I think over the sea over there, I keep hearing stories about you know other lands and finds a way to navigate and gets a boat built and. And uh, that's the actual historical event that anchors the first uh, season is a raid on uh, Lindisfarne uh, Monastery, which is uh, located on a small island just off the coast of uh, Northumbria in England, which was actually raided by Vikings in, in 793. And I mm. love that coming together of the cultures because, you know, it then makes you think, because you've been immersed in the Viking culture for a few, few episodes at this point, and and then suddenly you're in this monastery with with monks doing illuminated manuscripts, and um, my brain started, you know, trying to place, you know, where where are things at, at in the world, and you know, it's the beginning of what we knew as as the Middle Ages, um, and you know, the, all those stories you hear about Vikings, you know, raid, you know, pillaging and plundering, um, this is what what they do uh, in this first raid on the monastery they you know basically walk in and it's like taking candy from a baby except they kill all the babies or the monks mm-hmm. um, except for the hot monk they take the hot monk as a slave <laughs> um, 
So that's again gives us, as this uh, monk lives with the Vikings, gives us another point of view on their life, and he becomes friends with, excuse me, with with Ragnar, um, and it's very Game of Thronesy, I suppose, in a way, as you know, it is someone. It's the politics of the time. It's him both having this broader view of the world and, and, and but also wanting to move up and wanting to get power. There's conflict with his brother, who's a bad man, and we know that because he keeps raping people and wanting Ragnar's wife, who's the absolutely gorgeous, um, and I've no idea how you say her name, Lagreta, um, mm-hmm. who's a, a shield maiden. You don't mess with her. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so you, you get these tensions, both both familial tensions and the and the sort of political tensions as he he's trying to make moves to, um, you know, become more powerful and become a become the lord uh, of this area. Um, yeah, it, it it certainly I, I I was sucked in right from the the beginning. It is slowish moving. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's not. And it's certainly I'm at the end of season episode six as well, so it certainly has picked up its pace around then because you know things start shit starts getting real. <laughs> That's right, yeah, it does. And it, they introduce uh, a Donald Logue's character uh, from uh, well, his character is not from, but the actor <laughs> from who Gotham is, and Terriers is, is currently in Gotham and used to be in Terriers, uh, and he comes in and he's delightful. Um, <laughs> delightful. Has, uh, <laughs> That's that's a good word for him. <laughs> you know, if he's... I like his character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, uh, of course, was in it as well. Yes, he um, plays the the he Lord. Was fine. He, yeah, he was fine. Um, I like. He plays sort of yeah the over. I really like. Um, there's the shipbuilder who's who's almost a fool type character, even though you know, and he's your classic fool in that he's uh, he's sort of really weird, but he's really smart. And that's he's, he's, the character's name is is Floki, um, mm-hmm. and um, he's played by one of the um, one of the best gene pools in Scandinavia. He's a Sarsgaard, so Gustav Sarsgaard, who um, mm-hmm. uh, brother to Alexander. People, ah, people will know from True Blood. Apparently, Alexander got the good looks in the family. <laughs> uh, but I think <laughs> there was think, none left over. Well, no, he's probably he's, fine. Uh, yeah. His character looks ugly, but I'm sure he's yes, probably and he's got fine. some acting chops. Um, <laughs> he does. He's great. And, and yeah, he's, he's a, a lot he, of fun. He's a key actually. character in that. Yes, he does provide that sort of lightness, uh, but also yeah. uh, he's he's got cunning. He's got cunning. He has. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's gorgeous. It really got into the sort of history nut in me, and I've been disappearing down many uh, um, websites and that reading up about uh, you know Viking Viking history. And I mean, of course, a lot of people will have um, been getting into that recently with the rise of um, all the like Thor and Loki movies. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's sort of nice to see where that uh, mythology actually comes from and the character of Ragnar apparently is a character from Norse mythology um, and there is suspicion he may have been based on an actual character uh, actual man but um, right. it's uh, it's good t- tale telling yeah I, I, unfortunately the Vikings weren't too good at keeping records of of things I don't believe no uh, they were, it definitely feels like 
the English were a little bit better at uh, keeping well, records. Well, they're basically a non-literate society. She says this having, you know, read lots of websites in the last couple of days. So, yeah, they didn't mm-hmm. – they weren't recording things. Um, they weren't – they didn't re- have a written – they had a great oral tradition. They used runes um, to represent, you know, some significant things, but they weren't they weren't people who sat down and wrote books. And there's a great, you know um, – images uh, when they raid this monastery and none of them, you know, there's these gorgeous illuminated um, uh, pages from the Bible and, and the hot monk tr- also tries to save a, uh, wants to save a copy of, uh, I think it's the Book of John. Um, and, and to the Vikings, they, they just don't get what what this is and what the, the value of it is because that's not something they, they do. Um, so, you know, it's really interesting seeing these sort of um cultures you know a lot um juxtaposed in in that way um and i know you know other than my recent foray into the internet i know nothing about viking um culture so i'm not sure how accurate all this is but whatever it is they've done it really really well they have done it really really or it definitely seems like it's coming right off the screen that uh, you could feel like you could move into one of these little towns and <laughs> Just live there permanently. It's. Uh, I think you'd. You, it's, it's very. You cool. would have made a good Viking, Ryan. Um. Some people say I am a bit of a yeah, Viking. Yeah, I reckon you know, grow that beard a bit. I like the little silver things they have in their beard. That's pretty cool. Me too. That is pretty <coughs> awesome, isn't uh, it? I'm thinking I should get some of those. <coughs> you should. I think that would that would yeah. rock. Um. You wouldn't look like it a wanker would. at all. Um. Hips. You could be a hipster <laughs> <Thanks>. Viking. <laughs> right. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> How to get beaten up in Vancouver? Be a hips. I think that they do have those. I have seen their <laughs> usually leather bears, though. Oh, so. Okay, I'm I'm sure there's a couple of subcultures you could tap into. Oh, I'm sure there is. Well, there's techno Viking, right? <laughs> yes. Do you remember that guy? Yes. Is that me? Yes. <laughs> right, I could be like that. You could, um, or maybe we could. You could just watch the Vikings series. That would be fine too. But um, you're going to be living in on uh, on an island, so you may need you may true. need a longboat mm-hmm. with a sail. Sounds fun to me. I wouldn't mind doing that at all. Actually, <laughs> um, one thing I did that really appreciate about Vikings was the visual effects. Um, just before we started the podcast, I tweeted with the one of the VFX supervisors, um, just saying congratulations. Like it is. Uh, Julian Perry is his name, uh, the VFX soup. Uh, beautiful, well, so well done, invisible to the yeah. eye. I mean, I'm looking for things and I'm not seeing them. They have blended incredibly well. The VFX are done by a house in Toronto called Mr. X, who's done actually quite well for themselves, which just bought out, I think, by one of the bigger studios. Um, but they have uh, are getting bigger and bigger, it seems, and doing bigger and bigger mm. projects. So something like this was really, really nice. I'm pretty sure. Were they uh, nominated for or won uh, an award, uh, an Emmy, I think, for visual effects? Uh, definitely nominated for because uh, just some really, some beautiful effects that are, are blending in and definitely inspiring, make make me want to do better work. Um, it, I noticed one of the uh, directors is a guy named Ken, Ken Girardi, who I actually worked with oh. one of the first visual effects shots I ever... Uh, supervised he was uh, the director of the episode actually which i thought was kind of cool and uh, he's done two or three episodes a season of this show uh and pretty good it's uh nine episodes in the first season and i think it's nine or ten for the second season yeah um 
a good. So it's it's worth watching. Now, I, I, this I thought was very similar to a Black Sails or a um, a, a little bit like that Musketeers, like a really sort of big period piece epic. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly attention to detail. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's more um, less swashbuckling than. Um, uh, musketeers in that it's it's you know that's got a lightheartedness about it, but yeah, it's as I said, it's world building. I mean, you know, and uh, on on your sort of scale of of Game of Thrones, um, except this is our actual history, um, rather than a fantasy world. So as I said, I, I find that fascinating and fascinating to think where, you know. Where other cultures were up to at this point, where and, and we know the Vikings, you know, I, I love the the reference at the beginning as they're trying to, they have a primitive sextant as they're trying to work out how to navigate to sail west across the open sea, and you know we know Vi- you know evidence of Vikings have been found everywhere from you know the US to Australia, um, so it's they they got around the Vikings, yes. the Vi- oh, the Vikings did, um, yeah. and. You know, so whether you're a history nut or you like a fantasy show like um, Game of Thrones, um, I think this is, you know, um, this would fit right in. It's a bit, it, you know, it's got, got elements of all those things. Um, good performances and, as you said, just stunning to look at. I mean, all the, the stuff on the water, you know, there is no point where you can see that that's not, they're not actually sailing somewhere. <laughs> um, no, uh, yes, yeah. Really well done. Um, and uh, yeah, I looked at breakdowns of some of their bigger shots, which were in the boats, in the storms, and things like that. Um, really well done. I mean, done to the effect that you could have in a feature film, no problem. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the subtler things, the compositing and you know, putting the little towns and castles and stuff together, um, really, really well done. And definitely, I would, I would say, puts uh, definitely gives uh, Game of Thrones a run for their money. As far as quality, now quantity is a different yeah. story, but for quality, it's definitely up there. Well, and I'd say a lot really of the a lot of the cinematography, I think I'd even I'd put above because there's some there's elements of you know I know we have what can you say the, the you know the otherworldliness. So so Ragnar has visions if you like or he sees often sees signs in the world around him and the and crows you know play a big part as they do in game of thrones and there are some really subtle ways they do that and and just the way they relate with the people to the landscape to the natural world um yeah i i again just looking at this for the cinematography and the way it enhances the storytelling so it's not just pretty for pretty sake but it is part of telling the story and you know when you see them going out through the fjords and that you know you you you, you get that impact of these are you know these are 20 guys on a wooden boat sailing out into the ocean and they don't know what's on the other side <laughs> I'm like yeah. I'm like fucking hell who does that <laughs> Well, exactly. And, and yeah. you know, at one point they um, where they they and they go through storms and everything. They don't know where they are, and their way to work out basically if they're fucked is they've got a couple of ravens or crows with them, which they release. And the thing is, if they don't come back, then the idea is there must be land within flight flying distance. And if they do come back, there's no land and they're they're rooted. And and just when you think about that, when you think about what it take took to you know 
set set sail in in that sort of way. It um, and that, and they portray that through the scale of the landscape and the and the sea around them in subtle ways. It's it's not uh, mm-hmm. you know it, it it's not bang over the heads stuff. It's it's just really well done and. Um, um, and gorgeous to look at. I did it at various times want everyone to go and have a shower, but <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit messy. Yeah. It's sort of a hygiene issue. I'm not sure they'd all smell fantastic. Of course, it's cold, so they're all wearing forty layers of furs most of the time, and I reckon they'd get a bit they'd get a bit rank and manky after a while. But uh, look, yeah, it's yeah. it's a and you. You know, it's a good show. It's got a good, strong narrative going through it, and um, and some great characters. So I think you could do a lot worse than um, sit down and binge on this. It's had two seasons and coming up for a third. Yeah, you talked about the um, cinematography looking great. Well, the director of photography. It looks like for the first season, um, yeah, it looks like just it was John S. Bartley. Uh, who is actually currently DPing for iZombie. Oh, okay. Uh, and UCW show. Just did, yeah, and just did Bates Motel. Oh, right. Um, and he actually did a, a few episodes of Lost. And X-Files. Goes day. back to X-Files days. All the way back to X-Files, yeah. And then the other guy, PJ Dillon, um, assuming it's a guy, I'm sorry to assume that, is... Um, just so sexist, right? Did uh, Penny Dreadful. Oh, really? And Ripper Street, yeah. Well, that comes from it. So, and and a Game of Thrones comes from it being an Irish Canadian um, co-production. I'd say, yeah, um, yeah, I would think you're probably which right. is great to tap into that challenge, uh, that uh, talent. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, yeah sit back with Ragnar Lothbrok. Um, it did make me want to growl and occasionally stab people after a while um, because <laughs> I did like um, some of the the little stylings of the culture in. In that area, like when the little kid is sitting outside and the guy comes up, he's like, where's your parents? They're inside having sex. <laughs> like, just that they would say, okay, go outside, we're going to have yeah. sex, and it's open. That's very much like that culture, and that's the way the people still are today, like very open about that sort of yes, thing. Yes, yes. Um, I thought it was it was fun to see it go all the you know, back to that that. Time. And I must, I must cute. say, not being a, often being a fan of of younger actors or characters in these things, but the there's a kid who's twelve in it, uh, Ragnar's son, and I I do like him, uh, and he he plays well for that age because yeah. he actually plays as you know he's been initiated into being a man, but he's a twelve year old, <laughs> and right. uh, he gets scared, yeah. and 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 he's got he's got a great face, and um, I, I I've sort of become quite fond of him. Yeah, he's good. He's really good, yeah. Watch Vikings. Watch Vikings. I think you will like. If not, you'll be raped and pillaged. <laughs> or you... Well, it's not pretty. You, it's not pretty. No, there is um, there is quite a bit of um, violence, although it's actually probably less so than, say, Game of Thrones, I'd, I'd say. Uh, there's a, sh- a shot later on that's uh, in the ninth episode or ten. Oh, okay. Or, sorry, the eighth or the ninth. And it's uh, a guy getting his throat cut, but it's ceremonial and it's super close up and it's like, it's pretty graphic. Oh, okay. It's pretty like, oh. oh no, but there is nudity in this show, uh, which I thought was okay. Uh, there is, although not as much as yeah. I would have liked because it's really cold and they're always in furs. Um. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot for uh, the History Channel. Oh, okay. I don't understand yeah. the History Channel, but, but no, um, no. one thing, now you yeah. mentioned throat cutting. <laughs> Um, 
uh, something I heard that was really interesting, uh, there was a scene a couple of episodes ago on the new season of The Walking Dead. In fact, the opening episode of The Walking Dead. Now, are you up to date with The Walking Dead, Ryan? Yes. Okay, yes. so the scene where they've got a number of our gang lined up and they're going to cut people's throats and they do actually, yeah. this is the the, the, the cannibal team at Terminus. And mm-hmm. um, I read about how they did that and they actually had mm-hmm. wide <coughs> blood-filled tubes around the actor's neck that went, mm-hmm. you know, that were filled with blood and went down to a bladder of blood or whatever and they actually, you know, drew a blade across them and then VFX went in afterwards so that, you know, you couldn't and, and erased the edges so that all you saw was the, the cut and the blood spurting out. And I, I, I was mm-hmm. just fascinated with that because it was such a, a fantastic effect. So it wasn't a prosthetic, you know, over, over the blood tube. It was just the blood tube and they fixed the rest in post. I'm a big fan of working in cooperation with other departments like that. Um, you know, people are very weird about who gets to do what, but to me, if we can go in and say, hey, special effects makeup, why don't you guys do this and we'll hide it, and then you can do the big reveal, we do that all the time. Mm. We work really closely to them. So if you watch Supernatural, a lot of the shots where somebody's dragging a knife down and it's cutting open their flesh, that will be uh, special effects makeup prosthetic already applied we take visual effects and put skin over top to make it look like it's not there. And when the knife comes down, we reveal the Ah, special effects makeup. So the only trick to that is making sure that we get it on so we're not having to erase it through the whole scene, that we get it applied as soon as we can to when we do the reveal. So if you watched this season um, when Sam's torturing the Dar in the tree... He's got her tied yep. up to the tree and he's torturing her. That had uh, actually two full wounds that had to be erased and uh, and revealed. Wow. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm fascinated with how that – and I, I was particularly just reading this description of the the scene on The Walking Dead. I was I was blown away because it really – you know, it looked fantastic. It was a really powerful scene and um, – So, yeah. It, <laughs> well, but did you also read the fact that they didn't tell the other three actors yes. what it was going to look like? <laughs> And and they were tied. Yeah. They were like tied down, and all they could, you know, all they heard was sort of sounds, and then blood running past them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very, very good scene. Ah, uh, yes, amazing, amazing. Yeah. So, um, it's been a great, uh, great season. There you go, just spoiling the magic of television for you. But um, <laughs> exactly, they didn't actually kill those actors. It um, no. <laughs> but there you go. That's what you do, and I'm sure there's a lot of that happening on uh, Vikings because there's a lot of stabbing and um, blood in parts. Although, uh, yeah, yeah, as I said, I didn't find it particularly gory. I think a lot more of it's implied than is um, uh, than, than you, you see. And interestingly, they do actually people do actually suffer from their wounds a bit more in in this. You know, sometimes like in Game of Thrones, people seem to recover very quickly from. <laughs> Right, you know, I agree. I noticed that too. Yeah, from Dyer, where it, they're playing it more realistic. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. yes, I like, I like, and and everyone has scars, like everyone, and yeah. and they're all different ages. Some have recent scars, and you know, again, it's that level of detail. These are people leading a, you know, a hard and brutal life, and um, aside from the fact that they still all have great teeth, um, they do look like they've been through it. But not all their scars are on the outside, Jules. No, they need room on their longboats for their emotional baggage. 
Yeah, true. On that note, I think that's... Speaking of emotional baggage. Speaking of emotional baggage. <laughs> well, thanks again for another great episode, Jules. I really appreciate you. You uh, you, you really put the TV chin in TV chin wag. And you put the wag <laughs> in <laughs> TV chin wag. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we're hilarious. <clears throat> um, oh yeah. Remember, you can t- tweet us on at TV Chinwag to let us know any other shows that you might have discovered, um, and they can be shows that have been around for a couple of seasons. We do commit to usually watching at least, unless it's really really shit. We will watch. Uh, you know, we like to try and watch five or six episodes of a, a series to really give it uh, a chance, and so that we think we have something insightful to say. Um, but Rickus, if but if it's insufferable, we probably won't get that far. No, although one of us might. We have we have how many episodes of Selfie did you watch? Yeah. Oh God, when are we reviewing yeah. that? Is it still on? Uh, how about never? <laughs> I don't even know. It's still on. Actually, there's a few shows. Here's my review. Here's my review. John Cho is good. He could do better. Mm. There we go. That's my entire review. We're both on Team Cho. <laughs> One day they'll find a yeah. place for, for Cho on television and it doesn't look like Selfie's going to be it. I don't know what... Ch- no. Cho was so talented. Seriously. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everybody on that show was talented. Um, did you ever watch... Did you see him talent. in Ki- Kitchen Confidential? No. Ooh, we might no. have to review that as a blast from the past. Doesn't sound like a show I would watch. Um, based on Anthony Bourdain's book, hmm. I think you would no. like it. Okay, all right. There's swearing and sex and food. Angry. That's pretty and good. Angry people with knives. Um. So it's like Vikings. It's like Vikings then. set in a New York kit restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> God, I should be writing copy for websites. Um. I don't know why you're not. Don't you already? <laughs> don't I? Yes. No. Just no one's paying me. <laughs> okay. Before we degenerate further, thank you for listening. Let us know what you're watching and what we should be watching. Let us know what you thought of these shows. Um. And maybe soon we'll do a, a, a bit of a mailbag uh, segment. We've had a few questions in, and uh, we might answer some of your questions about television. Oh, that would be If fun. you're interested in the economics of broadcasting in Southeast Asia, pop us your questions, because that's, that's my special category here on TV Chinwag Mastermind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and please let us know if you have any suggestions. Until next week, I'm Ryan. I'm always Jules. Even in the Middle Bye-bye. Ages. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. Send mail to fans at tvchinwag.com or follow on Twitter at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music. For Ryan, Jules, and myself, thanks for listening to TV Chinwag. I don't know.